My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. This week, we talk to Cameron Jenkins, SEO and content lead at Shopify. We talk about her beginnings in the agency world as an SEO and digital marketer at Scorpion Design, her rise within the company to VP of SEO and content strategy, how she began working with Moz in her first Whiteboard Friday episode, her transition to Botify, and finally how she landed at Shopify. We also talk about managing large teams as well as how Cameron has created a great personal brand, especially on Twitter. For our topic of the day, we cover the most important aspects and biggest pitfalls of creating content with SEO in mind. We talk about areas where SEO does and does not overlap with content marketing, working with content teams using analytics to inform and guide content strategy, and passage-based indexing. Finally, we answer Twitter questions of the week and award another Page 2 Podcast t-shirt. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Cameron's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey everybody, this is Jacob Stoops, Director of SEO at Search Discovery. That's uh, starting to have a nice uh, nice little ring to it. Uh, I am here with Mr. Jeff Luella, Senior Technical SEO at the Wirecutter, a division of the New York Times. Jeff, how is it going? Hey, howdy, hey. Hey, howdy, hey. Good. <laughs> I didn't switch it up. I was going to go, hey, 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 but I... Uh, hey, hey, I'm hey. Just, I'm just a hey, howdy, hey kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I, I can't let this uh, let this opportunity pass. Uh, for those of you that know me, y'all know that I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. And I know that even within the SEO space, there are some uh, Steelers fans who did not like my acknowledgement of the it, honestly, my reference for those of you that have seen the movie, The Christmas Story. So let me back it up. The Browns went to the playoffs, the NFL playoffs, for the first time in 18 years. I was 20. I was in college the last time. And before that, I was like 13 years old. So they've gone to the playoffs once since I was 13 years old. Uh, and they won. They they friggin' won. Nobody expected them to win. And not only that, they beat our biggest rival, the Steelers, who have punked us down for I don't even know how long, ever since I've been alive. And uh, so I, on Twitter the next day, celebrating a little bit because we Browns fans don't get along uh, a lot of time to celebrate, likened it to the scene in uh, The Christmas Story uh, where the bully with the, uh, I, I believe he's got like a raccoon hat on, I forget his name. No, it's Scott Fargus. Scott Fargus, the bully, hits Ralphie with a snowball, breaks his glasses, and Ralphie just loses it. And, you know, then he pummels the pummels the bully. And in this case, because the Browns beat them so badly, it was kind of like the Browns were Ralphie. That's at least how it felt uh, to exercise those Pittsburgh Steeler demons. And I know that there were some out there that did not like uh, that I did that. But I think uh, 
you know, y'all can give me one day to celebrate my team being, uh, being amazing and actually winning a playoff game uh, because you've been beating us for 20 years. So get, get over it, people. We won. I mean, but it's about time you beat them without a, beating them with your helmet. You know, it's like. Hey, exactly. <laughs> about time we beat them when it meant something. Exactly. Uh, anyways, one of the other things we've forgotten to do on this podcast regularly, we really, really suck at it is promoting our YouTube channel. So we do have a YouTube channel. Now, primarily we get most of our listens uh, through the typical uh, podcast outlets, which is just straight up audio. Uh, But we do have a YouTube channel, serves as kind of an extra platform. And for those people that wanna see our beautiful faces, uh, which is not that many people, surprisingly. Um, we do have a YouTube channel. So uh, if you head on over to our YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe, hit the little bell below to get notifications. And uh, at some point I'm going to bring my kids on because they do much better than yeah. I do at saying that. So please make sure to subscribe and turn on that little bell so you can see Jeff and I's pretty face every week. I think my uh, daughter is pulling ahead of us. Oh no, she's crushing us at this point. Yeah, and she's she keeps growing her. She's ten, and her YouTube followings uh more than double than ours. Mm. So maybe we need to stop doing an SEO podcast and just make yeah. like robot just TikTok do- videos or whatever. She's uh she she actually does animation. It's kind of interesting. Animation. So Good. They for last her. about two seconds, but they're all about the the series of uh, Wings of Fire, which is like a um a kids dragon like story tale type of thing. Um. And so she draws a lot of dragons and animates them. And um, that's awesome. She's at like uh, 90 subscribers now. So that is uh, amazing. (laughs) Props to her. A little embarrassing for us that we can't beat a 10 year old. We'll get YouTube subscribers, but we're coming after you coming right after you. Uh, It might be the visual aspect of us, (laughs) but (laughs) that could be, that could be. Um, So we do have a very special guest uh, today. Uh, Cameron Jenkins, SEO and content lead at Shopify. How's it going, Cameron? Good. How are you guys? Thanks so much for having me. Also, I have an idea, Jeff, for your daughter. If she could animate us, so yeah. it's more oh. prices, but it's her animations, I think we could do a nice little co-marketing crossover and really boost There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think her audience would be interested in a little like collaboration between, between oh, us? Yeah. <laughs> she she has a problem drawing people. She hates it. So that's the problem. I mean, we could we, be dinosaurs. That might be better or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. If we were all dinosaurs, she would definitely have drawn us a lot better. Yeah. So. I think the SEO industry and audience would really like that. All right. I'll talk to her about it. Cool. Now, <laughs> now the question is, which dinosaur would we be? Oh, my gosh. Velociraptor. Let, <laughs> let her decide. I want to know what she thinks. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, you would be maybe like Barney, the purple dinosaur, the purple purple dinosaur. dinosaur. (laughs) Oh, all right. Uh, So people didn't come here to listen to my Cleveland Browns glory or to listen to us talk talk. about purple dinosaurs. Uh, (laughs) They came to listen to us talk about SEO. So that is what we are going to do. We are going to get into uh, Cameron's origin story. That being said, uh, every week we've been doing it, we'll continue to do it throughout season three because diversity uh, for us and balance uh, within the industry is very, very important. Uh, and there's an organization out there that is basically gearing up to uh, to help 
I don't want to say fight that battle. That doesn't sound like the right way to say it, but to, to try to uh, really push towards more diversity and balance uh, for underrepresented groups within the industry. So we do a little live read. So here we go. Uh, are you looking to break into the SEO conference speaking circuit, but not sure how? Are you feeling that you are not well represented within the current SEO speaking circuit and want to change that? We at the Page Two Podcast would like to take the opportunity to let users know about United Search, a new organization and first of its kind SEO speaker accelerator dedicated to ending the implicit bias in SEO that keeps BIPOC, LBGTQIA+, and women in the margins of our industry. Their credo, diverse SEO equals better SEO. United Search offers mentoring advice from people with real-world practical SEO experiences in order to give students the skills they need to be able to deliver an amazing presentation on any stage and the network they need to land gigs, all at no cost to the student. How does this work? It's actually pretty simple. United Search connects a cohort of the best pitches they can source with the top mentors in their subject matter. After working with their mentors to develop their talk, they will host a live stream event where students get to present to SEO experts and receive positive, constructive feedback. Graduates of this SEO speaker accelerator will get the benefit of top-notch mentorship, public speaking training, a video reel, lots of positive feedback, as well as a foot in the door to help find and land speaking gigs and access to an amazing community of SEO professionals. What does this mean for our podcast? Well, as a sponsor and advocate, we're committed to regularly showing stats that illustrate our commitment to diversity on this podcast, and we've made a pledge to diversify, meaning that 60% of our guests will come from underrepresented groups, uh, including women, BIPOC, BAME, LGBTQIA+, as well as representation for people with disabilities and those who are 55 plus and older. If this sounds of interest to you, visit unitedsearch.org to learn more about becoming a student or mentor or visit them on Twitter at search underscore United. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so let's jump in. So um, for those of you out there uh, one, before we go, I just want to say thank you. We are between uh, our podcast platforms and YouTube. We are coming up on 10,000 listens, uh, which is very exciting for us. Uh, now, if you're, uh, other podcasts like Dan Sh Dan Shores, uh, who I, I certainly certainly envy, and every time he shows his stats, I want to go kind of curl up in a ball uh, because he has old episodes that still get thousands and thousands of of listens. So. I, I would would love to have Dan, Dan's stats. That being said, um, we've been growing really, really steadily. We've been growing on social media. Uh, we've been engaging with a lot of people and we get a lot of really positive feedback. So uh, 10,000 listens for us between the podcasting platforms and YouTube is a huge milestone for us. Uh, so we just wanted to say thank you uh, first and foremost to everybody. Uh, and so today we're going to tell Cameron's origin story and then we are going to get into the core topic of uh, content and SEO, which is uh, a topic that uh, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, Jeff is a technical SEO. I don't know if that's near and dear to your heart, but we're going to find out. Uh, and then can't have one without the other. You're right. You can't. Uh, and we have got uh, four or five Twitter questions today, and we're going to award another page two podcast uh, T-shirt. Uh, and I just want to preface that some of the Twitter questions, while amazing. Uh, Cameron may not be able to answer. So we're just going to apologize in, in advance, but you'll understand why uh, when we get there. 
All right, enough talking from me. Uh, so Cameron, um, you're kind of on the hot seat now. So if you could tell us your tell us your kind of superhero SEO origin story. <laughs> Take us back to the beginning. Where where did you where did you start? Sure. Um, so yeah, I started in the agency world. I think a lot of people start in the agency yeah. world. I don't want to make that assumption, but it seems like it anecdotally from you know people I've talked to. So um, I I am in a city called Santa Clarita. I after I went to college here, and after college, I was like, I can't move back home. Like I got to keep this momentum going. And I was looking for jobs in the area. So many of the jobs um, I was looking at were in LA like city proper, which I live like 30, 40 minutes from there. I couldn't afford to live there. So I was like, what am I going to do? Um, also a lot of the jobs in LA were just like not entry level. I was just having a hard time with this. And then I heard of the design agency that um, I ended up working for. It's called Scorpion Design. Um, a lot of my classmates that I graduated with ended up working there. Um, and so I just got the email address of one of my uh, classmates boss who worked there. I emailed her and was like, Hey, can I come chat? Um, and so I learned that it wasn't just design. Like they do, they did SEO content. Um, they had paid a paid ad division. They were pretty much a full service agency. I didn't know anything about that at the time. I just knew that, um, you know, what I studied in college was communications and encompassed in that was like writing and advertising. And so I was like, Hey, I know this stuff. And I also did like some graphic design in college as well. So it was like, just put me somewhere at this agency. <laughs> I don't know exactly the ins and outs of everything, but put me somewhere because I'm interested and in, have some skills in all of these kind of different areas. And so there was a spot on the SEO team and that's kind of um, how I got my start in the SEO team back then. So this was 2012. Um, it was it was what you would imagine um, 2012 agency SEO was. I don't know if that needs yeah. to be explained, but that, <laughs> that's what that's where I got my start. And yet, so it's funny that you say that. So I, I know what I feel like agency SEO 2012 was, but what would you say that was, that was like for maybe some newer, newer people? No, I'm glad you asked. I didn't want to go into too much detail because I feel like I could, could just talk a long time about it. So like, yes, please do feel free to ask me to expound. But um, so yeah, in 2012, when I joined this agency, like we, our niche at that agency was working with small to medium sized business owners. And it was a lot of like local um, GMB type stuff as well. So um, I don't know, it'll, it'll probably trigger some <laughs> attorneys, plumbers, like medical, that type of thing. That's, that's what we were doing. And so um, a lot of people in the SMB space, um, whether Scorpion had done it or some other agency or someone they found in Fiverr had done it, it was just a lot of spam. I think people back then were still kind of like, they didn't know what SEO was. So it was like, I need to buy links. I need to submit this article to article base and have it, you know, exact match anchor text in it pointing back to my key pages it was all of that stuff, all of that gross stuff. And I think, um, so when I dropped in, I didn't really know a ton about SEO. I had done some like kind of, um, you know, just to pay my way through college kind of thing, like, you know, article farms and submitted stuff that way. So I knew I had a vague idea of like what SEO was at least to some people. 
at the time. Um, so I went into it not really knowing much and then kind of being in the agency and immediately just getting dropped into like, oh, all of my clients have manual penalties. Like, hmm. <laughs> so I kind of really quickly figured out like, what does Google not want? Um, and I actually like, I'm super thankful that I got plopped into SEO at that time um, in the whole evolution of Google, just because I learned so much so quickly about what Google doesn't want. And my so much of my time was spent, um, you know, cleaning up backlink profiles, um, cleaning up thin content, submitting reconsideration requests. So I learned really quickly, like what works, what do they not want? Yeah, I um, I, I have a similar, a similar story. Um, yeah. I started, gosh, now it's 15, 15 years ago doing this, got into it by accident, started as a designer, became an SEO, worked at a small agency for quite a while, uh, and then a small car dealership, which is about everything you can imagine it would be doing marketing for a car dealership. And finally, I got into a big agency, which is where I met Jeff for the first time. And at this big agency, the reason they hired me uh, is because I live in proximity, very close to who was at that time the biggest client. And this client, and gosh, I don't think, as I, the more I go on, the less I think I'm going to get to work on a client like this again, because this client, we had a team of something like 20 SEOs at the That's same crazy, time yeah. working on this client. And unfortunately, for the agency, this client represented a significantly outsized portion of the revenue, which meant if this client went away, which they eventually did, not good things for the <laughs> for the agency. Um, and when I got there, um, my experience had been technical and content and local and not so much offsite promotion. And this was right in the heyday of guest posting for links and we had had a team there that was entirely dedicated to copywriters and outreach people. And that's all they were doing, churn and burn, uh, outreach guest posts. And we had like link targets and things like that. And keep in mind, like we had sp specific numbers of links that we had to acquire. And it was the, it was a machine when it came to uh, acquiring backlinks and producing guest posts, all of which violate Google's guidelines. And the the more I kind of realized what was going on, the more I was like, this is, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> and we tried to, as quickly as we could, kind of back away from that, uh, that practice once we realized truly like how bad and not only that ineffective uh, it was at that time, because when you're doing it like that, no matter how big your team where we were working with such a big client where you just can't do it manually at enough scale to have a tangible impact on, on anything, uh, especially their really big time, big time uh, queries that they're trying to rank for. So for me, that was a, a really, really valuable lesson that I've kind of taken, taken with me. Uh, not to say that offsite promotion isn't, um, where it's at or isn't isn't effective but for me i i've just personally never worked uh at a place where we've done it well enough to have it be effective at driving organic traffic and rankings without carrying a ton of a ton of risk so that was a yeah. huge learning experience for me at that time 
So, uh, so Cameron, so uh, you stayed at Scorpion uh, for actually quite a quite a while. You were there for something like six years, which in in agency years, which I equate to dog years, it's like <laughs> fifty agency years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you're exactly right. Yeah, it felt like a long time, but you know, like the agency I was at, like I said, it was in it was so close in proximity to where I lived. Um, so many of my friends and my husband still works there, actually. So there were a lot of like reasons to stay there. Like I loved the in office experience. I love that I was able to grow with the company. When I started, I think I was employee number 50 or around there. And by the time I left six and a half years later, it was I think like 800. I mean, we had like multiple office locations in different states and it was really awesome being able to kind of grow with the company and ended up, you know, managing an arm of the SEO and content department. Um, and so that was really great because I don't know if I was at a bigger company and started when the company was already that big, I don't think I would have gotten that like leadership experience, experience, being able to be scrappy and start a team and, and lead a team. And, um, I'm super thankful for that experience, um, to be able to, you know, grow with the company. So yeah, that, that's one of the big reasons I stayed there so long was just that like, wow, I'm getting a lot of opportunities and personal growth wise, this is amazing. Cause I am, I am now like one of the most senior people at, at this company, at least when it comes to SEO and content. So I, I definitely um, wanted to stay and um, kind of like make my mark until I felt like I couldn't make it anymore. And, um, you know, six and a half years in is when I saw the opportunity that Moz was offering. So that's where I transitioned into next. Um, and I was a Moz end user and like of their content and their product. Um, I think probably more so their content. I mean, who wasn't a fan of like whiteboard Fridays and Rand mm -hmm. and going to MozCon and all of that stuff. So when they said like, Hey, we're hiring, um, someone who they phrased it, they didn't phrase it as a content manager. They phrased it like who loves SEO and loves teaching people about it. And I was like, me, <laughs> that's, that's me. They just explained it in a way that I was like, wow, that's, that's exactly what I like to do. Cause I had at my agency taken on a lot of like training opportunities and I was training not only our team, but um, you know, we had a sales team that was selling SEO as a service. And I want them to be able to, like, I have a vested interest in making sure they explain this appropriately so that our team doesn't get angry clients who are expecting to rank in two weeks. Um, so I did, I did a lot of that sort of training. Um, and so I already knew I liked teaching people about it and I knew I liked Moz. Um, the crazy thing was Moz was a contract opportunity. They were like, we're hiring this person for six months. And I was like, should I do it? Okay. I just, yeah. And I just ended up pulling the trigger and doing it, um, which was scary, but it was good. I mean, I ended up actually getting that contract extended um, for a while. So it was, it was a nice opportunity to get exposure outside of my immediate sphere of SEO, which had only been in this agency. I dabbled on Twitter. I'd seen, you know, the conversations people are having generally, but I had never been anywhere else and done SEO and content anywhere else. So Moz was like my first foray into that. And I, I really, I got a ton of great opportunities there. Like they let me be on whiteboard Friday, my first week. I was like, are you kidding me? This is, this is amazing. I was just like, so blessed to be able to, to be there. So, so I, I now have to ask what, what was it like to be on whiteboard Friday? This like just really, really well-known kind of, uh, uh, I don't even know what to call it C series. That's probably the right thing to, to call it. What was that like? Oh man, it was so cool. Like, 
So Moz is in Seattle. I'm in Southern California and I wasn't working with the team, but they were like, you know, we want to meet you still. And, you know, we want you to be up here with the team on a semi-regular basis. So they flew me out for my, it was either my first or second week I flew out there. And my lead at the time who had hired me, he was like, do you want to be on some white word Fridays? And I, I think that if I hadn't um, come in at the time that I did, I don't know if I would have had that opportunity because prior to, prior to Rams leaving, I mean, he, he was doing the whiteboard. Fridays. I think maybe sometimes they had guests, but it was mostly his thing. Um, and so I was like, whoa, I can do that. Like, you don't know me from, I could just be someone off the street. Like, I know I did some interviews with you, but wow, this is amazing. And I think that's when I got my first kind of stroke of imposter syndrome. Like I, I definitely didn't feel uh, qualified. I'm like, who, who knows me? Like, no one wants to hear from me. No one, like, do I even have experience that people want to know? Um, and I know that's a common, uh, common feeling in the SEO industry and in any industry. I'm happy to talk more about imposter syndrome, but I definitely felt it then. It was a mix of like, holy cow, this is like the coolest thing ever. Um, and also like, what, what am I doing up here? <laughs> Why, what do I have to tell other people that people want to hear? It's funny. Like we, I think pretty much maybe not every episode, but at minimum once every other episode touch on imposter syndrome. And we've gone really, really deep on imposter syndrome. So I guess my question is like, how did you push through it uh, to, to, to make a great whiteboard Friday video and how have you pushed through it in other, other places in your career? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think like just the fact that I had to do it was a good um, thing to propel me forward. I mean, it was part of my job. I was getting paid to create content for Moz and I just didn't expect that type of content. So um, the fact that it was part of my job, I was like, well, I just, I gotta do it. Um, and after I did it, you know, it was really, it put some wind in my sails to see some good responses. Like people I didn't know, but like personally, but respected in the industry, they would tweet it out and be like, wow, I really have been liking these whiteboard Fridays from this person that I don't know, but these are really cool. And I'm like, oh, they, they noticed they saw like, they, it's really validating to see that from other people. Not that you need, you know, now I know this, like <laughs> you don't need that um, validation externally from other people to, to know that you're doing a good job. Like you can have that can come internally and it should come internally, but it does, especially when you're first starting out, always feel nice to like have that propelling you like, okay, now I can do more. I'm, I'm more comfortable. I'm more confident to keep sharing now that I know that my ideas aren't complete crap. <laughs> so how did, um, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, as I say, it's kind of the behind the scenes of whiteboard Fridays. How many takes do you think it took you on your first one to, to, to nail it? Oh my gosh. Such a good question. I got like crazy. What's it called? Like cotton mouth or something when you can't like, I could not get words out the first time um, without like needing a glass of water. I'm like, my mouth's so dry. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was like a missed take there. And then um, I got like almost all the way through my first take. Um, when I realized like, shoot, I forgot to write like some pretty key things on the whiteboard. I'm like, I, I was so distracted by the fact that I missed that. Like I probably could have glazed over and no one in the audience would have noticed, but I noticed, got distracted, had to start over. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I kind of hit my stride and it was, I, I did most of them in, in one take. Um, so that was, that was really cool. But you can see like one of my first, uh, whiteboard Fridays that I filmed, like I completely st stood like on the wrong side of the whiteboard. So I was like almost off screen. Um, I don't know why I didn't notice that, but yeah. Anyway, after, after the first couple, it was okay. 
So they they actually make you write the whiteboard stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I I wrote it all out. Like what what they kind of tell you is like write out a lot of the base stuff like that you know you want up there that you don't need to write out. And if you'd like to like add like check marks or like add different um, things as you go along. Um, feel free to do that. But I'm like, man, I'm going to get too distracted. So um, I think just about every time I did a whiteboard Friday, I wrote it all out ahead of time on the whiteboard and then just like pointed at the things as I went along. Um, some people like Rand are super experienced. They can like draw as they go. And mm-hmm. I, just, yeah. I never got to that point. <laughs> I it, I can about imagine how my rendition of whiteboard Friday would, would go. First off, my handwriting's terrible. So <laughs> it would be chicken scratches. So I would need like a handwriting uh, uh, replacement, uh, Mm -hmm. to, to bring in, uh, second, I, especially when I'm like in, in, uh, in video in public, I don't know what to do with my hands. So it would be really like stiff and awkward probably. Uh, and then I, I think I definitely would go through some of the, have to go through some of the retakes, uh, even recording, this podcast and doing some of the uh, some of the intro work uh, that we do before every episode, uh, especially when I when we first started, it was em- embarrassing. It would have been embarrassing to admit actually how long that took for me to get like through at max three paragraphs without messing it up. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure the the videographers there would uh, be a little bit cranky with me. <laughs> yeah, the guy that was recording was so nice. Thankfully, I I felt very comfortable and that makes a big difference too. He did, I think, um, offer at one point, like, do you want me to step outside of the room? Some people prefer that. And I said yes at first. And then we had audio issues and he's like, I have to be in here. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> Thought I could be alone. But, um, but yeah, I feel the same way. It's always like hard and clunky getting started. So you just see like drips of sweat coming down my face all the time. <laughs> Yes. It would be that key and peel uh, meme with it, the guy, the guy sweating. A hundred percent. Oh my God. Um, okay. So you went from, from Moz to Botify. Uh, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah. Good question. Um, this is kind of a, an interesting transition. Cause I didn't really like know what to do after Moz. Like I had half a thought to like, okay, this is a contract. I'll go back to my agency. Um, the agency ended up like reorging um, for reasons that made sense to the business, but my role didn't exist anymore. So I'm like, what would I go back to? It was just kind of like a weird, I don't, I don't know if I can go back. And then I kind of realized like, okay, maybe that was more of a safety net for me just to like go back to what I was comfortable to and go b- comfortable with. And so I didn't want to just go back to that for comfort reasons, especially when I realized my role wasn't the same anymore. Um, so I was like, maybe I'll freelance because Moz, the way it was working out was like, they needed help every once in a while and they did want to keep me on, but it wasn't full time. And I'm like, well, I, I need a job. <laughs> so, um, I, I asked them if they would feel comfortable if I freelanced on the side. Um, and they were like, yeah, absolutely. So I was working for Moz and I was doing content on occasion for them as they needed it. Um, which was like anywhere between like 10 to maybe 20 max hours a week of my time. And then I was like, 
you know, let's go get some clients on my own. So I started, um, it's not like on my LinkedIn anymore, just cause it was so brief, but, um, I called it soapboxly. I was doing, um, content consulting and freelance writing for, um, it was mostly B2B SaaS, but I was kind of trying to dabble in everything just cause when you're first getting started, you're like, I'll take anything. I just need to figure yeah. out my footing and get a consistent stream of, of clients in. And so, um, one of my clients actually ended up being Botify, um, which I had kind of heard of. I mean, I was never really in the enterprise as a practitioner. I was never really on the enterprise side. Like I said, at Scorpion, I was working on like small to medium sized local businesses. The biggest I worked on were like some, um, like national franchises, but each individual franchise is, is small, you know, like Mr. Handyman of Toulouse or whatever. Um, and so we, yeah, I ended up working with Botify. It was supposed to be on a temporary basis. They they were trying to hire like a content lead. Um, their headquarters for marketing was in Manhattan. And um, so they were trying to hire someone in office there. They wanted to kickstart the program as soon as possible though. So they wanted a consultant to come in. The idea was to kind of tell them what they needed, kind of get things flowing, get things moving, and then hire someone to kind of take over the reins. Um, and they ended up just saying like, well, we're comfortable with you now. Do you want to just, <laughs> do you want to just join us full time and just keep doing what you're doing? Um, as, as they were my client, I was spending actually most of my time on them anyway. I was mostly, mostly full-time for, for Botify with the occasional Moz work. Um, and so I, at the time realized about myself that I really enjoy working on a team. Um, I miss that having been freelance. And so I was like, yeah, this seems like the right time to go back to working with the team. And so I ended up joining the team at Botify full time. And then I, I would say, what is the biggest thing changing from working with small businesses to being more enter, enterprise enterprise level? And uh, I would say maybe classify that as more of kind of an in-house role that you you what's the biggest change? Yeah, definitely. So moving from, it's such a good question, like agency to in-house as well as small to medium-sized businesses to enterprise, like those are both like really big buckets of, and they change exactly, like you said, what you have to do as an SEO or a content marketer. Um, so moving from agency to in-house, I think for me, I found that things slowed down and I definitely was used to working on a ton of different clients um, and just my schedule was really busy. Moz wasn't as busy. And I don't know if that's just by nature of me having been a contractor, but that was one of the changes I noticed from moving from agency to in-house. I was able to focus a lot more, but it also for me was like, isn't there more to do? <laughs> so it, it, that was the case, at least for me, every agency, every in-house is, is different, obviously. But um, yeah, moving to a content marketing role to uh, for an enterprise company was was very different because I found it pretty easy at Moz to kind of write for them and do content marketing for them because I was one of their end users. I, I knew the persona because I was their persona in my past job. And then moving to Botify, I was like, well, I come from the SEO space. I come from this, this world, so I know this world, but I've never been an enterprise practitioner. And so I kind of had to learn that, that from a new angle, like, okay, I know SEO, but what unique problems do enterprise SEOs face. And a lot of those are just like issues of red tape and scale. So the organizations are a lot bigger and the websites are a lot bigger. And that introduces a lot of like political complications as well as um, technical complications. And I think that that's a good summation of like the difference there. But basically it was like, if you have a technical issue on a 200 page site, it's not going to be as big of an issue as it would be on um, like a 
big travel website <laughs> to yeah. be named and that, or like a big like publication. Um, so it's definitely like a lot bigger of an issue and a lot harder to solve because you need dev resources. You need, it can't be as scrappy. So um, that's the biggest change I noticed. Yeah, we work. So I work for the New York times and we use Spotify and um, it takes like a month to crawl the site. <laughs> it's just one of those where I get like a report. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of those where they like we, we have a cut off at a certain time and certain depth, but um, I, I get the alert of when the crawl starts and then it is like three days later when I get like the final report from it. But um, and, and that that's, you know, the way you explain between you know, enterprise and that. it's like when you get to that scale, there's this SEO is slightly different, right? Because like a little tweak we can really make a big thing happen because we're tweaking that tweak on 100,000, 200,000 million pages. Um, so from the technical side, like a tool like Botify really is interesting. I, it's the first time I've been using it. So I've been learning a lot about it um, and it is hooked to our our um, server logs. So it's, I'm getting to see like Google, how is Google? I, like I have other tools that tell me how our, our customers and readers are going through things, but this actually goes through and shows us how Google works. And it's a great tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed using it. I, I mean, because as a, an employee, I got access to the tool. I'm like, this is yeah. so much information. Like, this is amazing. Like having visibility into your logs, like, holy cow, like, that's hard to get a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Mm -hmm. So what eventually took you to Shopify? Oh, yeah. So um, my the person who hired me at Shopify, he reached out in my DMs on Twitter and he was like, Hey, <laughs> um, which I, you know, I hear is becoming more common. Like, and it makes sense. A lot of people share their thought leadership on, on Twitter and engage with people in the industry on Twitter. And so you get found on Twitter and you get recruited on Twitter. And that's definitely what happened for me. So I guess, uh, what had happened was someone, um, internally at Shopify had read some things that I had posted or followed me or something like that. And so, when my lead um, at the time, Matt, was looking for someone to start the content um, part of his organization at Shopify, Shopify's big, so this is you know his corner of Shopify, um, he was referred my way um, because he knew the importance of SEO when it came to content marketing. And he's like, we need to really like keep our customer acquisition costs low. We need evergreen traffic. And I'm like, you know so much already. Like I'm usually having to preach the value of um, content from an SEO perspective uh, and get buy-in for that. And he already knew that he needed that, which is why he reached out to me. So um, yeah, long story short, we had just like met on that common ground and um, it ended up, you know, a couple months into our conversations and interviews and all that stuff, it ended up just working out. And so I started there um, in like middle of September last year. And it's funny that you mention sliding into DMs because yeah. that is how we book this interview. Uh, that's actually, that's how we book most of our most of our interviews for whatever yeah. reason. Um, I know that there are fancy new platforms that the that the young ones are, are using, but for whatever reason, Twitter seems to be just a place where, and maybe now increasingly Clubhouse, which I've yet to, to try. Uh, it's just where people hang out, uh, and it's it's where a lot of the interaction uh, happens and. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, if you're running a podcast, it's actually a great way to book guests. Uh, just slide, slide into the DM. You want to come on our show? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so I've got a couple of questions and then I, then I would like to slide on to the core topic, uh, uh, that being, uh, SEO and content, uh, which is where, uh, obviously you're the, you're the expert. Um, 
One, I wanted to go back to team management. Mm -hmm. uh, you managed a, a big team at Scorpion, and uh, there are folks out there within our audience who are responsible for big teams. Some are, have been doing it for years, others uh, not as much. So what, I, what would be the most challenging thing that you went through with respect to kind of handling and growing a team? That's such a good question. And I think, you know, my experience and like everyone's is going to be unique to the company that they, they worked for. But I found that because I was, I had been at Scorpion so long, I was so keenly aware of what they needed and the problems and the, the gaps in, in the company. And the team I managed was actually a team I created. Um, I kind of pitched the idea that we, we need this. And so I filled that role and got a team to kind of support that from other areas of the business. And so that was actually, it, it sounds really hard and that can be the hard part at a lot of other companies of like starting and running a team, but that was actually somewhat of the easy part. The hard part was integrating my team and getting buy-in for my team um, within the organization. So I think like just knowing that my team was bringing problems to me that I, I knew were problems too and I empathized with it and like, I'm gonna try my best to get these solved for you. But knowing that I also then had to go and petition that and pitch that to the other areas of the business because things in one area of the business can't change unless a lot of times, unless the other um, cogs change along with it um, and are accepting of that change. And so I think one of the hardest parts was having to come back to them and say, we can't do this yet. I know it's a problem. I know we want to do this, but we can't do this. So kind of breaking news to them and managing their expectations while also helping make sure that they knew that I was their advocate and I was on their side. Because um, as a manager, you have to toe this line between like, I am your advocate, you know, as an employee, I'm your advocate, um, but I'm also an advocate for the business. Like I can't be anti my company. <laughs> I can't be like, yeah, doesn't that suck that they won't let us do this? Like I have to empathize, but also be like, we have to understand, you know, they can't do this right now because resourcing and budgets and all of that. So kind of like towing that line between I am a representative of the company and I'm relaying that business information to my team, but also empathizing my team and saying like, hey, I get it. This is hard. Um, that was um, an enjoyable part of the job, actually, but it was one of the hardest parts of the job. And what is your advice for sometimes you have to you have to deliver hard feedback? Uh, mm -hmm. How do you approach that? Yeah, I think like just keeping in constant communication with your employees is really going to make the difference there because I noticed that um, the te the teams around me that I saw that that was hardest with, like those were the teams that had like the most fragmented relationship with their lead. Um, so there were a lot of hurt feelings that it, it felt a lot more personal if you didn't have like a constant kind of form of communication with your lead. I'm not dropping these bombs on my people like once a quarter or even once a year and then leaving and they never like I didn't know this was a problem like we've been working on this together for a long time we meet weekly or at least monthly with some depending on you know who it was on my team but we've been walking through these issues together we know what these are I'm not just dropping this big truth bomb on you and then leaving like you're already aware of this you're already working on this so I think like the hard feedback was a lot easier um when it wasn't just like few and far between and it was also a lot easier to deliver when you kind of, you know, I, I feel like a lot of things that people need to work on also have like a good component, like, um, you know, hey, you're, you aren't working as fast as we need you to, but I know that's because you're a perfectionist and I like that about you. So like every kind of thing has like a positive thing you can say with it while still delivering the truth. Like it's radical candor, but it's also like gentle honesty and mixing in praise there too, which I think I found at least for my team, that was really valuable. 
yeah, don't don't blindside your people. Nobody likes that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, check in with them. Uh, in I would say my experience is um, your people have to respect you. Um, they they have to respect you. They have to know that you have their you have their back. Uh, and it, at least my approach is is one of my people know that even if I'm delegating something to them that if that task were given to me, no task is beneath me and that I would be right there. So, and I hate to use like war references, but in the foxhole uh, with them, right beside them, uh, you know, doing the, doing the hard work, the grunt works. And, and I think that sometimes uh, people have to see that you're willing to do that, but you also have to toe the line of, you can be their friend, but not always. Uh, So you have to toe the line between, when is the appropriate time to be their friend? It's almost like um, when you're a parent, right? Your job isn't to be your kid's best friend; it's to be the best parent, right? Uh, so it's uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit similar to to that. Uh, and of course, you can be friends, uh, but when it comes time to have the the tough conversations, you got to remember uh, you're you're the, you're a leader, you're a manager, uh, and and uh, one person in my career really, really put it really, really well. Uh, and that's uh, Noah Omri Levin, uh, who is, uh, he used to be at Search Discovery and he's since uh, moved on to be the CMO of, of uh, another company. And uh, he said, when it comes to hard feedback, you are, if you're not willing to deliver that, uh, and of course, deliver it with uh, a lot of empathy and, and respect and so on and so forth, you're actually, you're being selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, and I don't, I can't remember if he said it exactly like like this, but uh, you're being to some degree a little bit ca- cowardly by not delivering uh, the hard feedback. And you're actually hurting that other person's career uh, rather than helping them. So mm-hmm. yeah, anyways, that's a complete tangent, complete tangent. So I want to slide into the content, uh, the content uh, uh, strategy side of side of things, uh, and and uh, Jeff, you, you'll you'll be leading the questions. But my segue is uh, one of the things that kind of stood out to me uh, about you, Cameron, is your your content strategy for your personal brand as it's coming through on Twitter over the course of the last several weeks and months and I and of course we all bump into each other on SEO Twitter um, so you know I've been a you know aware of you like that you existed right uh, and you've had some high profile high profile jobs but I I have been really, really impressed by the type of content you've been putting out uh, on Twitter and kind of the helpful nature and just your experience. So um, for you, yeah. what's what's been behind that? Uh, because that for me, I noticed it. And, and that was one of the huge reasons why I thought, hey, I, I want to have her on and talk to her because this is really great. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for saying that. That's super encouraging for me because, you know, like I said, it's it's one thing to kind of like eh, put it out there. It's another thing to hear that it's actually being helpful, which is what I want. I think like a couple months ago, maybe I, I've been on Twitter a while, but I think I vacillate between like being a lurker and kind of just like sometimes I post and no real like kind of strategy or cohesiveness behind it. But I think a couple months ago, I decided like, why not just like make it a personal challenge to share at least one thing a day? Um, so I've been trying to do that. I don't always um, meet that goal. I mean, things get really busy, but I've been trying to like 
you know, what they have a schedule post feature. So sometimes I'll just do that. Like inspiration does not strike every day. Those of us who work like, well, work any job, but like, I think especially like, you know, if you're in-house and you aren't like a consultant and can't make your own schedule, like you get busy. Some days you just don't have time to to do personal brands type of stuff. And so, um, you know, maybe on the weekends or every once in a while, I'll have like a free moment. I'll, I'll kind of try to sit down and plan out a bunch of tweets like that I think would be helpful that have come up during the week or like my people have asked me or I've just, I've read different places. And I'm like, oh, this seems like a problem. Let me like I put my point of view out there. I'll schedule them up and I try to like schedule one a day. And yeah, that's that's really the, the thought behind it is just like, I want to personally challenge myself to do this and put myself out there more. And, and yeah, I'm glad to hear that it's been helpful and it's been resonating. I mean, it's not always going to hit home for everyone. I have like a very specific, like everyone does. We have all has very specific experiences that we, that we share. And mine is like at the intersection of content and SEO. And so anyone who's interested in those topics, like hopefully it's been helpful. Yeah, no. And I think it's a piggyback off of that. Um, like the pin tweet you have right now where you're talking about, you know, writers wish SEO didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I've run into that a bunch uh, throughout my career where you have a ton of writers and, and I think SEOs sometimes can overstep their bounds and like, no, you have to write this way where, you know, so I think there's a, the bounds there, but you know, I, I agree what you say um, in your tweet where you say there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to write for search. It's not something you shove into storytelling, but it informs the story that you tell. And, and I, I agree. And I think, uh, so the company I work for, we, you know, have a ton of writers, <laughs> uh, more than most. And, and th- we kind of run into this sometimes where we're not here to tell you what, you know, how to write something, but we, we definitely were trying to put data around it to, to show that like, here's what people are looking for. Here's what we're, you know, the direction we want to go, but you know, writers be writers. We want you to like, we, you're an editor or a writer for a reason. And I'm a data nerd for a reason. Right. So it's, uh, um, and, and for me to go in and tell you, Hey, you got to, you know, change these four words because we're going to rank number one. That's not the case. Yeah. 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 Totally. Awesome. So what, what's, what are some of the, you know, coming from the technical side, and I, I will totally admit that I'm not uh, the greatest content writer, hence why, like, my blog is one blog post that was from, <laughs> from 15 years ago. Oh. Um, I am definitely more of the technical side of things. So I, I but I am content curious, we will call it, because yeah. <laughs> um, I would always like to be able to, you know, again, I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, I think you can't have one without the other technical side and, and the content side, right? Like you can have the, some of the best content, but if you're blocking uh, search engines, right? No one's going to see it and vice versa. You got the greatest technical site out there, but if you don't have really great content all on my site, uh, <laughs> you know, no one, no one will come either. So, you know, what are some of the most important aspects of coming up with a great content strategy for your site. We're not talking title tags and meta descriptions, but overall, like, you know, what are some of those most important aspects and even like pitfalls people would get into and things like that? Yeah, I think it's such a good question because I, I talk to a lot of content marketing managers and a lot of SEOs and like, that's my job, like living at the intersection of the two. And I think one of the maybe biggest misunderstandings I've seen of, of SEOs and like, again, I've been there cause I was one and looking at the content marketers is one of the biggest misunderstandings is that, uh, you know, Google organic is, 
the end-all be-all only channel we should be optimizing for. Content marketers don't think with that brain. They think with many channels. Content marketers are of the understanding that like, look, I have to go and, and speak on the channels that my audience lives on. Google Organic might be one of them and it might be an important one, but it's, it's certainly not the only one. So I think sometimes SEOs come to the content marketing team or the content team with um, this perception of like, hey, here are the things I need you to do to these posts and I need you to do A, B, and C. And they're like, it's not for that. Like, this is storytelling. This is a thought leadership thing. Like, don't don't touch it with your SEO stuff. And like, I think just knowing where the lines are, knowing like this piece is meant for search, like taking a channel first approach um, or mentality to um, content is really important for both content marketers and SEOs. SEOs knowing that like, okay, I can, I can kind of inform and direct the, the search content strategy, but I probably shouldn't really be weighing in on like, you know, their paid ad landing pages or, or things of that nature that really aren't meant for search discovery. Um, we might not care on some pages that, you know, it's, it's getting Google organic uh, traffic or not. We might want this to be, um, you know, a viral post that's going to go do well on Twitter or something like that. So always just kind of like being in mind, being mindful of the fact that there are different strategies for different channels. And if you're not sure, just yep. ask. Yeah. And, and I guess a larger um, companies will say as it, you know, there might be someone who is in charge of social content and someone who's in charge of SEO content um, and newsletters and, and, you know, everything else like that. Um, how do you see those working together? Like um, when you get SEO content that's going on the website, um, like do you work closely with people who are doing newsletters or the paid side of things to, and social just to make sure there's a coherent message? Yeah, definitely. So it, you're exactly right about like, you know, the bigger the company, obviously, the more types of roles you have. And so my last role at Botify, I mean, it's a startup. So I was like, all of the words, <laughs> like, that's what I did. That was my job. So I, I did all of that stuff. But I also worked with um, the demand gen, the revenue marketing team who they were responsible for distributing the content um, in some form. Obviously, Google, it was the distribution channel. And it did the work, like ranking did the work of distributing it um, in some respects. But when I wanted the extra like ad, you know, traffic from ads, like really targeted traffic, or if I wanted it um, to be sent to our newsletter subscribers, um, I would I would make sure I talked with like the email marketing manager um, on that front. But yeah, I think that's really important. Just making sure you have a cohesive voice. It was easy when I was the only content person because right. <laughs> it was just me across all of those channels. But yeah, now being at Shopify, the company's bigger, just having a cohesive message is is really, really important. But yeah, I think like just coming back to the fact that like, you know, every every channel kind of has a different purpose. Every piece of content has a diff- different purpose and not trying to shove, you know, one uh, channel's best practices into a piece of content that wasn't meant for that for that channel. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds right. I'm, I'm always trying to think on, on some of those bigger companies to like how to, again, like someone like Shopify, you know, it's, it, it's huge, right? And you have different, you have platform, people who are working on the platform and you have the marketing side of things. Right. So um, that's cool. Um, How much play does like analytics and data have into content creation, marketing, you know, just idea driven type of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Data is a really important part of, of what we do. And I think like, you know, and this goes back to the whole, every content team is different. Every like business model is different. Even like some, 
you know, you can't like use the same measure of success across all content teams because some, um, I was just talking to a content marketer the other day who went from doing content marketing for a freemium SaaS product to then going and doing like almost exclusively ABM, like it's enterprise, they're not casting a wide net. Like there's no SEO strategy for their content for that reason. And that being totally appropriate for their business model, but having that be like a weird switch. So not having the same, applying like the same KPIs across every kind of content marketing team. So if your strategy like ours is like we at Shopify, my corner of Shopify, we do have like a self-serve inbound type of element where we need SEO to drive a lot of that content. So we would use keyword research to ideate a lot of our content calendar, not the whole thing. Like I said, you know, there's different types of content, but Uh, For our SEO-driven or search-driven content, we use keyword research to inform that. We look at the volume. We don't just look at the volume. We look if it's trending up or down. And then if we are creating content for a specific query that we know people are searching and it is a very search-driven piece, then we'll use search metrics to judge the success of that. So we're looking at traffic from Google Organic. If it's sustained over time, where we're ranking, how many keywords that piece is ranking for. So it's really um, specific to that piece and what channel we were actually trying to trying to go after. Um, whereas it would be totally different KPIs if we, if it was like a thought leadership piece that we were trying to drive like gated content downloads um, and get emails um, from that. That would be a totally different KPI. But all of that to say, yes, it's super important because that's how we that's how we know if it's working or not. And that's how we know whether we need to go back and, you know, it's not done after you hit publish. You know, you want to keep maintaining yeah. it. You want to keep making sure that um, it's going in the right direction. So that involves some level of optimization even after publish. I, I think one of the things that is, it's a frustration point for me and for all SEOs. And I sometimes forget, um, search volume, <laughs> traffic, uh, organic is, uh, it's not the only KPI. And I, you know, I feel like sometimes I put my blinders on a little bit too much, which can lead to, to frustration. Um, there's other ways for content to be successful. And, you know, my SEO brain keeps thinking you're producing this piece of content nobody searches like that. Why are you doing this? And then I, you know, I'll kick back. Here's how people search. And they'll say, that's, that's not our target audience. We don't want to, we don't, from a brand standpoint, that's not what we want to go after. And there's this constant, um, constant push and push and pull. Um, and I, I actually have a great case, case in point today where thankfully my wife was working kind of down in my office, uh, with me, today and I just so happened to be working on a project uh, related to like purses and and handbags. Uh, And I I can't remember exactly what it was called, but there was a specific type of uh, a specific product name that I was like, honey, I have no idea what this is. But the, the brand was so awesome that they actually provided a picture next to the product name. And they were also awesome in that they wanted SEO feedback, which was great. They may or may not take it. Um, but I had to call her over and say, if you looked at that picture, like, how would you search for it? I don't, I don't know. Um, so it's always an interesting uh, push and pull between kind of the SEO side of things going, well, this is how people search. This is what people want to know. And content, content strategy and content marketing, which takes into account so many other, right. so many other things uh, than we, than we sometimes think about. Right. Yeah. I think coming from the SEO background, it, 
myself, it was hard to kind of try to learn that like, okay, search isn't the only avenue for discovery. Like, yes, how would someone search for this? That's a good question if you're targeting people who are searching, but you can target people on other channels too. So I think that was a really important thing to learn that like, okay, not all things are created equal. And, you know, I've seen plenty of content briefs that have pissed some content writers off for lack of a better word, because like they'll create something about this one topic and they're planning on running ads to it. They have a whole distribution strategy. And then the SEO team will come in later and say like, this keyword doesn't actually get volume. Can you swap it for this keyword? And then being like, that's not even the same. Those aren't synonymous. Don't just because that has volume, don't shove that into my piece. It's not for this. Get out of here. Um, so yeah, sure. When, when you're saying like, yeah, search could be a cool avenue for discovery, like, and they are synonymous. Why not just tweak it and use the word that is more commonly searched? Sure. Like that's totally valid. But if it's not, if it's not synonymous, don't just pick it because it has search volume or, or if you're not even using Google organic for your distribution, like don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. When I have a question about like, so Google kind of has some will say stolen, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, but they, they cherry pick content from people's websites and place it up in, you know, position zero inside, which then would, um, you know, in theory, cut back on clicks into your site. Um, So what are some ways that you, I guess, some of that's, that's beneficial. Um, we're, we're actually working on some of that in my company now to optimize for some of that um, with Google passages and passage in indexation and um, understanding that a little more. It's kind of a new premise to me about it, but how do you kind of change content being written on a site to benefit from some of these aspects of you know, position zero, feature snippets, um, the, the new passage-based indexing and, and things like that? Yeah, the passage-based indexing one is extremely interesting to me because I think like Google, if I'm understanding it correctly, and it's always kind of takes some time to yeah, exactly. like, what are you saying, Google? Um, but it seems like what they're trying to solve for is is content that's a little more stream of consciousness-y and it's not organized really well. Maybe it doesn't have the right headings or subheadings, but the answer's in there. Um, and they want to surface it when it's the most relevant answer to a really specific question, even if it's not the entire topic or the main topic of the page. So I think it's all about them kind of trying to surface it and getting better at surfacing it, even when it's not like the primary topic of the page. Um, So I think that's actually really good for the way that like um, me and my team approach writing for search in general is just because we've always taken the approach of we need to be really structured with our headings and our subheadings and write directly, like make it easy for Google to find this. And Google's passage-based indexing is just going to make it even easier for them to find. Maybe we have a subtopic that we address on this page about, I'll take like cross merchandising. That's on my brain because I'm on the retail side of the business. And so um, maybe we have like a sub question that people also ask about cross merchandising and it's, and it's on that page, we address it. Um, I think maybe before it might have been a little bit more likely that Google would have surfaced a page that was all about that sub question. Whereas now maybe if my, my big page or my big topic of cross merchandising, maybe my sub point has a better answer than the page that's entirely about this. Right. I have a better chance of race. So I think it's going to benefit us just because we are still addressing those really clearly. Um, so I'm just going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, but it is really interesting how they're getting so much better at surfacing the right information, even when the entire page isn't about this one specific topic. So I think yeah. 
maybe we get to create less pages. Like maybe it's just going to be easier to create like one long guide and our sub questions rank just as well as if they were their own page. So who knows? Yeah. And that's the way we see it at Wirecutter where I don't know if you've been on Wirecutter's website, but we have like longer than Wikipedia type of reviews of, of products. Um, Cause we put our best headphone review it has every headphone we review and everything about it on everything on, on one giant long page. Um, and so I do feel that the passage indexing is going to help us pull out some of that deeper content and, and up top. I'm just hoping that it's when someone types, what's the best headphone, they just don't give them the answer. <laughs> and, yeah. and like, and, and all, everything we write for to, to not get that link to us. Um, so- Really quickly, I I have to bring up a a point. So more than two to three years ago, Google passage indexing, I really think it would be a lot more fun. Uh, Cindy Crum uh, from Mobile Moxie had created the term fraggles. Fraggles. That seems (laughs) a lot more fun. And I do want to give her proper proper credit. And um, I'm going to play like, what is it, uh, Johnny Carson or Conan, where we look into the the future. So Conan in the year 2000. So in the year 2000, which is really uh, a couple of years from from now, uh, the future, in my opinion, uh, of where search is going, um, passage indexing is just the start, right? They're going to probably be able to not just pull snippets from web pages where it's written html content but begin to transcribe videos and not only that podcast because podcasts have exploded podcast audio and begin to serve that up in search results that that to me seems like the logical the logical future that they be would be able to transcribe well enough what we're saying for example in this podcast uh we're talking about uh, passage indexing. So I, I foresee a point in the future where maybe they start pulling that in. And I think you can already kind of see it with respect to kind of how they're pulling in uh, the when people set up videos with specific, especially how to videos with specific points midway through the, the video. I think it's beginning to go there. Uh, so I think for people, um, early adopters of podcasting, I think potentially could get a lot of benefit, uh, you know, down the line to creating, uh, creating content. Now, I don't know, does that equal more listeners or whatever, but I just, I foresee that being the direction that things go. I don't know what you guys think about that. I agree. I feel like their mission is to organize the world's information. They don't say just text information. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, all, all information, um, what it sounds like. So I wouldn't be surprised either. I think that's a good thought. And I also think, with when it comes to podcasts and videos, like they're already able to get you right to that part of the podcast. So you don't have to listen to the whole podcast to find that one part you wanted to hear. So that's great. I, I think that's the way, that, you know, some of the way that they tend to structure. And I guess it was leading to my next question is like structured data um, on the technical side. We love it. We're like, great. This is stuff work to do and put stuff in there. But a lot of times I'm just taking content from the page and shoving it into structured data. Um, and, and one of the things I, I really want to focus on in 2021 with my teams is like creating content that's you know great for users or readers that are on the page, but also fits some of the content molds that we have that, that Google is publishing out. And one of the big ones like FAQs, how-to content and things like that, because um, on our site, in the blog or different areas like that, we have tons of how-to content, but it's not structured in any way. It's just like 
um, the ability to integrate that into the what Google is actually looking for. I know it kind of puts a little bit of a restraint on the way that we can write our content. And that does affect, you know, if you're an editor <laughs> or someone who's writing, like I don't want to be put into this mold, but at the same time, that mold might get us better search results um, or maybe not rankings, but better like looking search result pages where um, we're, we've noticed some, on some of our FAQs where we have like the number one listing and then they have like five FAQ questions underneath that we're answering on our site too. So it really is helping us with like that SERP domination. Um, and, and how is it, some of that playing into the way you think of content? Um, you know, we're not writing a blog post anymore, right? Now we're trying to fit it into a mold to make Google understand us better. Um, so how does, how does some of that play into the way you think and when you, when you come up with a content strategy? Yeah, definitely. So our, our SEO team's actually doing a lot of experiments around that right now. Like they just I posted in one of our Slack channels, it's like our content marketing SEO combined channel about like experiments they're doing with FAQ um, and all of that type of schema. And they've seen some really great results from it. So I think like when it comes to creating like schema first type of content, like thinking that way with like, okay, what kind of, um, you know, SERP feature do we want to appear in and then creating content for that. So on my team, we'll do that with like featured snippets, like, hey, this query has a featured snippet, like let's try formatting the content for that first. Like, is it a paragraph? Is it a list style? Is it, does it have images? Um, you know, what's ranking the featured snippet and then making content to fit that. And they're doing the same thing with a lot of the schema. So like, hey, we wanna experiment with FAQ um, schema. So let's do a post that's a bunch of questions and answers and like create it for that. So I think just thinking with the the SERP feature or the even this goes back to the whole like channel first content creation strategy, which is where do we want to show up and how do we create content that will fit that and meet that need. Um, I think it's just a really important way to think about it. So creating the content and then being like, how can we fit this into schema? How can we fit this into whatever? Yeah. Not that you can't do that. You can, people do it, but like it saves a lot of time, I think, to think with like the channel or the feature first. Well, that was an amazing discussion, but I want to break up the party and I want to move into Twitter questions of the week. Uh, so this week uh, we have four questions uh, and some of them are pretty awesome. Uh, like I said, at the beginning of the episode, we can't answer all of them uh, for pri pri privacy reasons and uh, to make sure that Cam Cameron still has a job after this uh, after this episode. Uh, but we will read the uh, read the questions. And uh, for this week, just a reminder that the winner gets a free Page Two podcast uh, T-shirt, which is super super awesome. Uh, and I would say. The surprising thing that I have found found out is, uh, you know, we've sent out stickers, we sent out a hoodie, we've sent out uh, T-shirts. Uh, our guests are not actually, this is going against what I thought would happen, not actually like taking pictures with them and ta tagging us. I actually thought that that would happen and it's just not happening for whatever reason. So if you've been a winner in the past, I'm not trying to shame, but just we're going to start asking not, certainly not a requirement. Like I'm not going to like come to your house and like put you in a headlock and make you take a picture, but It'd be fun. take a picture and tag us. We want to see people wearing, uh, wearing and displaying our merch, uh, assuming you're not, not embarrassed of us. So, which that may be a, a very real possibility. Maybe they're just <laughs> embarrassed of us, but yeah. Anyways. All right. So first question, 
Uh, and I want to say, I'm going to get her name right this time. I'm not going to flub it in the middle of an episode. Uh, so Jamie Alberico uh, at Jammer underscore Volts uh, asks on Twitter, what was it? Uh, what was in the internal process of deciding to ban DJT like that would be Donald J. Trump? Cameron, do you just do you want to be the bearer <laughs> of bad news here? Sure. Yeah. And I, you know what, it's such a good question. And um, I kind of want to just say it's really more about just like Shopify is so big and I'm in one corner of it. You know, I'm on the the content marketing team for not even, there are multiple content marketing teams even at Shopify. So I wasn't at the table at those conversations. They might've even been, I'm sure Shopify does default to open, like all of these conversations, most, if not all of these conversations are all open. I can access them if I want to, but I just have to know what to look for. You know what I mean? Like we have an internal wiki we use, like there's Slack channels that are open. I'm sure these conversations were in public at Shopify. Um, but you know, it's so big. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I found out probably around the same time that everyone else did publicly. But, um, but I know that, you know, is one that wasn't done with, without a ton of thought, a ton of meetings, you know, they don't do anything lightly. They really were thoughtful about this and, and that's what they chose to do. And, um, yeah, I, I um, enjoyed reading the articles about it and just learning more about it there. So that's that's where I got my information, probably where everyone else did too. But it's a it's a really good question. That was a very nice PC answer. I, I have to say that it would have been really interesting to be uh, not just at Shopify, but even Twitter and I think Facebook too, to be a fly on the wall to un- understand how some of those conversations went down uh, because uh, his, his account and accounts uh, incredibly widely followed. So I would just, I would have loved to personally hear without getting too political, the types of like free speech conversations that that come along with banning such a large account. And that's no matter like what side of the aisle you're on, Republican, Democrat, somewhere, so left, right, uh, somewhere in between. It's just, it, you know, if it had not been the president and he had not done what he had, what he had done uh, or you know, whatever, um, if it were somebody else uh, who were getting banned, it would just have been interesting to hear what goes down in a conversation like that. And how does that kind of decision get made? Uh, anyways, all right, so let's move on before the people start to come with pitchforks. Uh, Jake Sassino, and I hope that I got that name right. I love your handle, at bit of SEO on Twitter. I noticed that Shopify staff often use bit.ly links on the Shopify community forums to internally link to Shopify help pages. How do you use this click data? Does it inform your content decisions in any way, or is it used to monitor the benefit of your support forums? Uh, and again, I, I'm just gonna preface that this probably can't answer, but. Yeah, and it's not even like a privacy thing. It's just like that I'm not on the docs team. I'm not on the, the health and support side of the organization. I'm in marketing. So I'm sure if there's anyone listening to this who works for Shopify, either like writing the help docs or is in the support organization and you want to answer this, feel free. But usually when I see Bitly links, I make the same assumption that they're probably using it for some kind of internal metrics and tracking about like how well are we answering questions? Are people actually clicking through to read more? It's probably just to, to make sure that their team is, is answering questions well and has all the right information that people are actually reading the docs that they're linking to. So that's my assumption. Um, someone can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but um, but yeah, that's just a different corner of Shopify. 
Awesome. Uh, so question number three comes from my colleague, Wade Saunders at Heels Four Corners. He's a big North Carolina Tar Heels fan. Uh, so how is Shopify preparing for Google's page experience uh, and Core Web Vitals update in May? And will there be expanded? Oh, so this is kind of a second question. Will there be expanded ways of handling image loading that can impact the Core Vitals metrics? Mm-hmm. Um, good questions. So I was chatting with my now now colleague, Kevin Indig, <laughs> this morning. So um, just like a brief explainer, I guess I'm oh, sorry, my meeting invites are dinging in the background, but um, just a quick explainer on just the breakdown of like how SEO and content and all that works at Shopify is like, there's definitely the side of the business that I think a lot of SEOs kind of think about when they think of Shopify, which is like how Shopify affects the way that they can do their job. So they're doing SEO on Shopify websites. So that would be like the product side of Shopify. I don't work on Shopify, the products. I work to market Shopify, the business, like some aspects of Shopify, the business. So there are certain things I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know um, how that's working. And I know Kevin and part of his team at least is dedicated to they do SEO for Shopify, just like I do content marketing for Shopify, but um, some of them are also working really closely alongside product to make sure that there are certain like SEO things in place for actually Shopify, the product and the platform people use it for their e-commerce stores, obviously. So um, he all he could tell me when I asked him this this morning, like, hey, do you want to comment is that they're working, they're aware and working on a lot of these things. They have a lot of like good, good things in store this year. Like they hired on people like Kevin and um, my colleague Jackson Lowe, and there's a lot of smart SEOs who are working on this exact problem right now. So, um, you know, I don't have news yet, but you should have like Kevin or Jackson on your podcast because I think when they do have stuff to announce, they'll want to get it out to the community, the SEO community, and tell them like, hey, here's what we have. Um, here's what we've done to prepare for this. Here's what we have to solve for this problem that everyone's talking to us about, like not being able to edit the robots.txt or like, I don't know what changes they're working on, but I just see the same types of like, comments from the SEO industry. Um, and I know they are aware of those because they're the ones asking a lot of those questions like, hey, SEOs on Twitter, like what what frustrates you about, you know, working on Shopify sites and they're intaking all of that information. So whether it's page experience or any of the other things that commonly come up in these convos, like their team is aware and, and they're working a lot of cool, cool things this year. That leads beautifully into the next uh, question. And by the way, I feel like that's an open invitation. Kevin, we would love to have you uh, on the podcast. So we may or may not be reaching uh, reaching out, but definitely probably will be reaching out to see if you can come on. But sidebar, uh, Kyle Rose, who I, I just will say uh, before, the, before the selection, I'm not trying to sway it. Kyle has asked questions. Now he's a colleague as well, but he has asked questions I don't know how many episodes and he is not one. So I don't want to, uh, Cameron, you'll certainly pick, pick who you thought asked the best question. Uh, but Kyle has been a long, uh, a long time uh, question of the week, uh, non-winner. Uh, and he, he actually asked the question that I probably would have, would have asked. Um, in the past, Shopify has had a negative stigma as a roadblock when it came to SEO friendliness. What, what changes are being made to improve these limitations? And I'm gonna actually add on to that. Um, as an SEO kind of coming in from the outside, knowing that there are stigmas, how do you how do you guys handle that? Yeah, definitely. So it's interesting because again, like I'm, I am not on the product side, but I, I do work alongside these guys. And from what I know, like I can just tell you what I know. Um, and a big part of my onboarding at Shopify, which was recently, was learning about how they make product decisions. 
Um, and so from what I know from those types of conversations we had during onboarding was they build a product that the most amount of merchants need. So if 100% of the merchants that they want to serve need this thing, they will build it. That's what they prioritize. Anything that maybe like maybe 25% of people need this and they really, really need it. And they really, really want to edit their robots.txt file. But the most amount of merchants don't need that. It doesn't get prioritized. That be, being said, though, I'm not saying those things aren't being prioritized. I'm just saying that that's usually how those decisions are made. Like they are going to do the things and build the things into the product that the most amount of merchants need. And all the gaps and anything else that comes with that, if you want to do something else, usually they fill that with like app store, like apps in the app store and um, Shopify service partners and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's usually how those decisions are made. Again, I'm not on the product side, but I do know, like if they identify that a lot, if not most merchants could really benefit from something, they will prioritize it. So I know that they work closely with the SEO team. And all I can say is that they, I know from Kevin and, and, um, Jackson that they're working on a lot of cool things, um, and asking the community too. So, um, you have my permission. I don't know about theirs, but to like hit them up on Twitter. I know they're asking the community a lot of questions. So um, hit them up if you have questions or specific concerns that you want to talk to them about. Um, be specific and, you know, they'll take that into consideration. And just remember, you bunch of crazy SEOs. They're running a business, right? <laughs> they're running a business. Okay, so let's pick a winner. So we've got we've got Jamie, the Don, the Donald J. Trump question. We've got Jake with the bit.ly links, we've got Wade with the core web vitals, and we've got Kyle with the negative SEO Shopify stigma. Mm -hmm. So who's who's the winner? Who's the we big winner? Go Kyle. We yes! Kyle. <laughs> I can't. He had a great question yes. and he got it like he's so loyal. He's loyal. Yeah. Yes, he's finally, finally, Kyle, you're the winner. I'm gonna be reaching out to you. Uh, actually, I, I can just reach out and slack him. Kyle, you finally did it. Uh, <laughs> Awesome, you way to persevere, <laughs> and thank you. Uh, I may have I may have forced him to ask a question, but no, he did it. He he he's great. He he always jumps in and asks amazing questions. So Kyle, you've got a free Page Two podcast T-shirt coming your way, and I fully expect you to post that picture on Twitter. Uh, all right, Jeff, you want to take us home? Sure. So, what words of advice would you give to a person who's just starting out in SEO? Mm, such a good question. I think, so I will give advice specific to my corner of SEO, which is, you know, the intersection of content and SEO. I would say it is confusing for someone who's like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a content marketer to kind of like, what is this SEO thing? How do I actually apply it to my job? And one of the biggest like aha moments for me was understanding that keywords are user data. Like it's your launch pad. This is what you need to answer, not what you need to put into your copy. So just thinking of query data and keyword data as, as your input, right? Like people are searching this. Put yourself in the shoes of someone that's searching for that and then deliver what you think they want to know. That's what search intent is all about. So I think like that's the one piece of advice I would give someone because I know a lot of like content marketers coming into this industry. They don't sometimes know what to do with SEO if they're not an SEO first person. They're just like, what? Do I put this somewhere? Like, what do I do with it? Um, and it can feel kind of dirty because it feels like something that's like tainting their like creative pieces of content. Just use it as a launch pad. It's something that that's user research that informs your content. It's not something you have to stuff in your content. If someone's asking you to stuff it in your content, they're doing it wrong. 
So, I was going to say, SEOs would be like, take this and put it in 63 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hard pass on that um, gently. And if you'd like to talk more about that, if anyone's listening would like to talk more about that and my philosophy behind that, like, I'm, I'm pretty available. Reach out to me on Twitter or whatever. Um, I'd be happy to talk about it. Yeah, I was going to say, what is your, your Twitter handle so our audience can reach out to you? Yeah, it is um, Cami underscore Jenkins and Cami is spelled K-A-M-M-I-E. And I know that's confusing because I go by like three different names. Um, my full name is Cameron. I feel like a lot of my friends and family call me Cami. A lot of people at work call me Cam. You can call me any of those things. That's fine. But that is my Twitter handle, Cami underscore Jenkins. Awesome. Uh, well, Cami. Cam, thank you so much for, uh, I think that makes us friends now we, that I didn't just full name you. So no, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on our uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're out there listening, you know, we record on Fridays and we release the episode on either Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday, if I'm slacking or procrastinating on my editing, but we do turn our editing around pretty quickly. So uh, we're heading off into the sunset of the weekend. Uh, when you listen to this, you're going to be right in the beginning of a new week. So have a great week. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for having me guys. Thank you so much for listening to the page two podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, PocketCast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, you can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing. <laughs>